the big white house right at the corner of Odi and Fosses Avenue in one of the portion neighborhoods in Port Harcourt. I was built in 2014. I was built from the proceeds of greed and corruption. The hundreds of millions of naira that went into purchasing the land I'm built on, my architectural design, construction, finishing and furnishing, everything came from money that should have gone into rehabilitating victims of the devastating floods that ravaged many states in Nigeria in 2012. I'm not certain of its origins, but I heard something about the earth changing and the ozone layer depleting, scientific things I really don't understand or care about. I also heard that the floods may have been caused by the overflow from dams operated by a neighboring country, and this really angered the government and people of Nigeria. Again, this is speculative, and I don't know this to be true. Whatever was the true cause of all that body of water displacing people and disrupting economic activities in the most populous country in Africa, I'm not prepared or even equipped to get into today. What is important is that it happened and a committee was set up by the federal government to raise funds for victims of the flood. Elder Lolomari Jonah was appointed chairman of the committee. He and the other members of the committee raised billions of naira to set up IDP camps across the country, provide food, clothing, and cater to the healthcare needs of millions of people made homeless and jobless by the flood. In-kind and cash donations came from wealthy individuals and businesses. Large monetary contributions and gifts also came from international donor agencies and charities that have mastered and even elevated the art of public relations and perception management with pictures and images that constantly depict Africa and Africans as impoverished and always in need of aid and financial support from foreign governments and celebrities. Like I said, billions of naira was raised by the committee and billions of naira was shared by the chairman and members of his committee. For a few months in 2012 and maybe one or two months in 2013, those truly impacted by the flood received bags of rice, a few cartons of indomie noodles, some tins of granite oil, gently used clothes, shoes and mosquito nets. Photos were taken and that was it. Elder Jonah was careful not to draw attention to himself, so he waited until media attention shifted to other things before spending his share of the spoils. The brick, mortar, wood, and labor that expertly combined to create the architectural masterpiece I became all came from funds that should have been used to help people in need of help. Instead of helping the helpless, he focused on constructing me because I am the home he wanted to retire to. I am a shiny white monument of the injustice and iniquity that has held my country captive for decades, and of this I am ashamed. Knowing what I know now about Elder Lolomari Joyner and the questionable source of his wealth, I wonder why all his landed properties scattered across Port Harcourt, Lagos, and Abuja are painted white. I wonder why his cars are all white, or why he himself mostly dressed in that color. To my mind, white represented purity or some form of innocence. Elder Jonah was far from pure or innocent. Maybe his wife was, but certainly not him and his cronies in high places. No, scratch that. I'll take that again. Elder Jonah was a good man. When his mother died in 2013, he single-handedly repaired the road to his community in Akukutoru so that his friends and all the powerful people he invited to the burial could enjoy a smooth ride to the white, 
four-bedroom duplex he built for her after she had passed. Using his extensive connections in government, he brought electricity and portable water to his people. He even spoke to Mike Adenuga personally about extending Glow Network to his village so his kinsmen could make phone calls and be on the internet like the rest of the world. That was what earned him the nickname Glow with Pride or Elder GWP. Anyway, I carry my whiteness with pride. After all, it wasn't my fault that I was built in the first place and then painted white like his other houses. I didn't choose this life. This life chose me. Speaking of choices, houses aren't supposed to speak of the things they've witnessed or secrets buried within their walls. But I choose to break the building code. I have decided to speak. I decided to shatter the conspiracy of silence. Elder Jonah was a nice man. The women and girls he dated would say that of him for a fact. And if they didn't, I can attest to all the transfers he made to them for houses and cars. He paid for women to go shopping abroad and some even got huge sums of money from him to start businesses of their own. When he was alive, he was the life of the party wherever he went. When his friends and relatives had something to celebrate, they knew they could count on Elder Lulomari Jonah for support. If he wasn't chairman of the occasion, he'd be special guest of honor, father of the day, chief chief launcher or something like that. The fact is, he was always on the high table, whether or not there was an era in the room designated for that purpose. Oh, I didn't mention that Elder Jonah died last week, did I? I probably should have started from there. Elder Jonah died last weekend. And yesterday, exactly one week after he was assassinated, his wife and four children met with his lawyer and childhood friend, Barrister Ombo, in the living room to discuss his burial, money and property matters, and of course, their inheritance. Elder Jonah, his driver, chief security officer, and his mobile police escort were gone down on their way back from inspecting one of his project sites in Gokana. This particular road construction project had been abandoned for years and he only went back to check up on it and arrange for his workers to remobilize back to the site because the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission was investigating an allegation of fraud leveled against him by former employees of his company he hadn't paid salaries to for months. Though loved by many, it wasn't out of place for someone in his line of business and career in politics to have stepped on toes. His death was painful. His death was tragic and totally unexpected. Elder Jonah died without a will. Because of this, his family was desperate to know where everything was and how they could lay their hands on physical cash, money in the bank, and other important documents before someone played a fast one on them. I could tell his children were concerned and that they wanted this issue sorted out as quickly as possible so they could return to their homes and families and the lives they led outside the shores of Nigeria. I didn't know Elder Jonah's children that well. I only met them once and that was many years ago when they all came back to celebrate his 60th birthday in Odi Avenue. They stayed for one week and that was it. Occasionally, in the last few years, they would call their parents separately, but every now and then, they had like a conference call thing to see where everyone's at. 
On those calls, they shared good news and breakthroughs, and if anyone was going through a difficult patch, the others listened and offered a helping hand where they could or said kind words when it was all they had to give. The Jonas were a close-knit family. Father, mother, and four children, Makochi, Abel, Izukama, and Destiny were very, very close. Even though all four kids lived abroad and didn't visit home, their parents, Elder Lolo Mari and his wife, Madame Iberichi, visited them every summer or when they had things to celebrate, like a graduation, starting a new job, a wedding, or a new baby in the family. Maku, the eldest of the Jonah brothers, lived in Atlanta with his Jamaican wife. He was a realtor. The second son and child, Abel, was based in Canada. Together with his Ghanaian wife, they formed a gospel music band that performed in churches and Christian events across Canada and the United States. The couple, known professionally as Jonah to the world, ministered in songs to saved and unsaved souls wherever they went. The third of the brothers, Izukama, resided in Japan. He was single and studying to be a medical doctor. The only girl and baby of the house, Destiny, was also based in Canada. She was married to a white Canadian guy and they owned a restaurant in Saskatoon. Things were hunky dory in the family. I always felt the strong bond and connection between the siblings. I also felt the incredible love and respect they had for their parents, even though they were all so far away and I only knew them from the photos hanging on the wall. Honestly, Odi Avenue wasn't such a bad place despite the insincerity cemented in my foundation and rafters. I wish things had stayed that way. Sadly, it didn't. Everything began to unravel when Makochi was pulled over by the cops in America. It was a routine stop and search. He didn't do anything wrong, but since they found drugs and a gun, he wasn't licensed to carry in the pigeonhole of his car. He had to do time. His wife stood by him all through his ordeal, but after his release from prison, no one wanted to touch an ex-convict not even one whose father was wealthy and well-connected in his home country. While the family was struggling to come to terms with Makochi's misfortune, disaster struck. This time, it was Abel. Not able to handle the scandal and trolling he received on social media for impregnating three women at the same time, he attempted taking his own life. Although he had been in and out of counseling, and had completed a brief stint in a rehabilitation facility in Quebec, Abel couldn't cope with losing his ban, his wife and daughter. Like Maku, he survived on money his father transferred to him from Nigeria. As for Izukama, he should have been fine, but he lacked the courage to tell his parents and siblings that he dropped out of medical school in Tokyo in order to pursue his passion for drawing and painting. And if it wasn't for his mother's intervention, Elder Jonah was prepared to disown his son when he found out the truth. Though his father eventually forgave him, his monthly allowances was reduced drastically and Izu had to fend for himself in Japan. What he earned as an artist selling his paintings on Instagram could barely cover his rent and utilities for the month. A frustrated Izu decided to limit his interactions with his parents, hoping that by doing so, his privileges would be restored and he could relax and enjoy doing what he did best. Destiny was the only one without issues. She was happy in her marriage 
Her kids were doing well in school, and apart from the loan she took from her father to start a business in Saskatoon, she hadn't given her parents any cause to worry about her and her family. I had everything lawyer Ombo told Madame Jonah and her children. Elder was broke and heavily indebted to the banks. But Barrister, how can this be? Everybody knows Daddy was a rich man. A perplexed Izukama confronted the lawyer. When he, when he didn't get an answer from him, Izu turned to his mother. But mom, can this be true? Were you guys broke? My son, I'm hearing this for the first time, and honestly, I'm just as surprised as the rest of you. If your father had financial problems, he didn't tell me. Madam, he was owing a lot of people. There's hardly any bank in this state he didn't borrow money from. I've also said this countless times. Elder Jonah's companies weren't being properly managed. Madam, you know your husband better than the rest of us. He was spending far more than he was making. Why do you think his workers were being owed 11 months' salary? Wow, that was broke. Abel sounded subdued. What about all the contracts and other things he did for the government? Not everything passed through his companies. There must be money somewhere. I know dad can be reckless, but he wasn't foolish. There must be something. Marco was angry. He punched the wall as he spoke. Guys, guys, please calm down. Let us calm down. Destiny pleaded with her brothers. I know this is shocking news for all of us, and we're all still processing it, but our focus should be on what we can do to salvage the situation. There must be a way out. Barrister, please help us here. There must be something you can do. You haven't been daddy's lawyer all these years for nothing. If what you say is true, Umbo, are we going to lose this house? Will the creditors allow us to keep anything at all? Madam Jonah asked the lawyer. Madam, I was coming to that. I'm afraid the banks will take everything. The houses, cars, office equipment, everything. The banks will take me too. I was terrified. But even in my anxiety and fear for what will become of me and how a new ownership might affect me in the future, I was still worried for Madame Jonah and her children. Makochi was right. There was money. Elder Jonah was reckless, but he wasn't foolish. Because of what he owed the banks, he didn't keep his money with them. He hid it somewhere safe. He kept his money with me. Your dad's bedroom and study have been under lock and key since he died. Destiny, you have been the most composed since you all got here. I will give you the keys tonight. I want you and Marco to go over all your father's things. Check every paper and every document in these two places. God willing, we might find something that can help us avoid the shame coming our way. There's money. Lots of it. I know where it is. But how do I tell them? Destiny couldn't sleep. I saw her leave her room for her father's. I noticed she wanted some privacy so she could cry and mourn her father in her, in her own way. So I let her be. As much as it was possible, I looked away. But I am a house. I see everything. I hear everything. I know everything. First... She sat on his rocking chair. Then she moved to the bed. I thought she was going to lie on it, but she didn't. She just stared as if touching the beddings might disturb his spirit or something. When she started walking towards the closet, as if she knew what she was doing, I froze. 
In fact, if I didn't know better, I would have thought she knew where it was. But that was very unlikely. I wanted to scream her name, but I didn't know how to. The hidden key was right there in front of her. It was taped to the back of the photograph of her and Elder Jonah on the wall, right next to the door of his walk-in closet. Destiny stopped to stare at the photo. After about 30 seconds, she touched it. She rubbed on its surface as if touching the belt on her father's face. Drawn to the picture, she slowly pulled the frame from off the wall and she saw it. Destiny saw the key that opened the side of the closet her father always kept locked. Inside the closet was a small fireproof safe. It was her father who opened it last. He must have been in a hurry to pick up something and leave because the lid wasn't closed all the way. Wondering what was inside the vault, she pulled open the metal door and then she gasped. Inside the safe was more money than she had seen in her entire life. There were crips bundles of naira, dollars, pounds and euros. Destiny got on her knees and started crying. If she could move the money to Canada without the others finding out, she would pay off her husband's gambling debt pump more money into their business so they didn't have to file for bankruptcy and most importantly, RBC wouldn't foreclose on their mortgage because she could pay what was outstanding and even more to the bank. I watched her wrap the money in one of her father's agbada she pulled out from the other closet. She waited at the door for a while and when it felt like she was, it was safe to do so, Destiny walked out of her father's bedroom. She closed the door and turned the keys. No one saw her go in and out of the room. In the morning, she would job Makochi in searching through her father's cabinets and drawers. They would find old letters and photos, land documents, and even their report cards from when they were in primary and secondary school. But they wouldn't find any money. When two weeks later, the siblings left Port Harcourt to get on with their lives, I wasn't sad because Elder Jonah had been buried I would never see him again. I was unhappy because destiny gifted me with one more secret to hide from the rest of the world. So, if one day the pillars holding me up collapse, or cracks appear in my foundation, or my roof cave in, it won't be because of structural failure. It will be because I know too much, and that knowledge weighs me down. And the moral of this story if there's one, is that you should be careful what you say and do inside your house because walls have ears. Hi there, my name is Michael Afenfia and this is Write Out Loud. If you've enjoyed the story you just heard, please do well to like, share and subscribe to this YouTube channel and I'll see you on the next one.